And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. You know, Jesus said in the last days, men's hearts are going to fail them for fear. I know when Kathy and I moved to the North Shore of Chicago to plant a brand new church, I'll never forget my father-in-law, bless his heart, he's in heaven today, but my father-in-law came to me, this was back in 1988, he came to me and we're getting ready to, to move to the upper Midwest, and he said, son, is there, aren't there any churches in the south that would have you? <laughs> and we were feeling a little anxious about it ourselves, and I almost wanted to say, yes, I, I, I think I'd rather do that, but we didn't. We, we obeyed what we felt like the Holy Spirit was teaching us to do, or, te- or, or asking us to do, and so we move up to the North Shore of Chicago. It's, it's, a, it's a, thank God, you know, Chicago is a, is, a, is a clean city, especially compared to New York City or other places. Chicago's got a lot of benefits, a lot of things going for it. People are very nice up there, but it's a different culture, and it's different for us. We move up there in December. We, uh, the first morning we wake up, we can't find our car because so much snow has fallen and uh, we couldn't find a place to live and uh, so we didn't know what school district the kids would be in so we ended up enrolling them in a private Christian school and I found myself paying private Christian school tuition at a moment that I didn't have income coming in and so what Kathy and I had done is we had we had uh, actually cashed out our retirement with Regent University and uh, so we're, we're, we're paying the taxes on that and, and we're supplementing our income with that. And uh, we found, finally found a house in Libertyville, which was about 20 miles from where our church was meeting. church was meeting in Northbrook. We ended up in Libertyville, honestly, folks, because that's, that was the most affordable area to live. And even then, in 1988, we were spending $1,500 a month in rent. You're saying that, that'd be a lot today. That was, a, that was more than twice as much as our house payment had been in Virginia. So here we are. We're, we're getting this, this, this church going. We're going forward in faith, and I, I take this retirement money, and we go and we buy a van for the church, and we go and buy keyboards, and we buy PA systems, and microphones, and speakers, and all kinds of equipment that we need for the classrooms. We're getting everything going, and I begin to wake up at two and three o'clock in the morning, and I could hear a voice, whether it was my emotions or whether it was demonic in nature. This voice said, "You're a fool." To bring your family a thousand miles away from anyone who cares about you. You are a fool. There's nobody up here that cares whether you make it or not. This church is not going to be successful. You're going to be a failure. You're going to go under financially. It's not going to work out. How many of you know when you get woken up in the middle of the night with those kind of thoughts, it'll waken you up. And you, So I started just pacing the floor. And I began praying and crying out to God. And it happened night after night after night after night. And I could hear again this voice saying, you're a fool. You're a thousand miles away from family and friends and anybody that that loves you and 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 i'm pacing and i'm crying out to god and suddenly it occurred to me it says in hebrews chapter 13 jesus says i will never leave you and i will never forsake you and i begin to speak out of my mouth i said yeah we may be a thousand miles from family and friends and people that know us and people that would celebrate us and people that would be there for us in a hard time but you know what jesus is with us and jesus has called us and faithful is he that has called us who will also bring it to pass hallelujah 
Glory to God. And I just begin, I continue to speak to those thoughts. I continue to take authority over those thoughts of fear. Well, Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is one of the great kings of Judah. In fact, one day news came to Jehoshaphat that there were three armies, the armies of Ammon, Moab, and some of the people of Mount Seir. They're coming to wipe Israel and Judah out. In fact, they bring their gold and silver with them because they're planning to occupy that place. They're planning to, to take up residence in Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat gets this news, and let's begin reading at verse 1 of Second Chronicles 20. It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Okay, so Moab, Ammon, and it says other people, which actually are people of Edom. Edom the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Okay, and they're down in the desert, the southern part down below Israel. Okay, then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. Now, what he's not talking about this, the, the Mediterranean Sea here, he says they're coming from beyond the sea. That means they're marching up from the, they're going around the Dead Sea, and they're coming up through Edom, they're coming through the deserts, and they're they're going to climb up the mountain passes. See, they're not making a frontal attack on Jerusalem. They're coming up behind you. That's what that means. Verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared and he set himself to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. The Bible says here, Jehoshaphat feared. Let, let me share with you five things this morning about fear. Number one, fear is faith in what your five senses tell you. Fear is having faith in your circumstances. See, it appeared that in less than 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, Jerusalem was going to be overrun. And Jehoshaphat grows fearful. Well, dear ones, fear comes to every one of us. But faith in God is based on our revelation of who Jesus is and our walk with Jesus and our relationship with Jesus and the promises in God's Word. You see, faith is not, it's not something that I conjure up in the middle of the night when things aren't going good. Faith is something that resides within me and it comes from my relationship with the Lord. You know, we talk a lot about the anointing. Boy, I just really felt the anointing today or I, I didn't feel the anointing. Let me, let me give you a definition of the anointing. It's your personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's your personal walk with God. It's your personal time with the Lord. It's your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. It's not an emotion, but it is your walk with Jesus. And, the, and for me, the anointing gets activated when I hear the voice of the Holy Ghost. See, I, I, I've been up in the mountains this past week of North Carolina. I've been up in Banner Elk, but I've been praying and I developed one sermon and I thought I'd preach it today. But when I started going over it on Thursday, I want you to know it was dead as could be. There was no life. And I've noticed something when I preach stuff that doesn't have life. Huh, not only do you doze off, some of you go into a coma. <laughs> And it caused me Thursday night, man, I was, just, I was just on my face saying, okay, Lord, what's the word of the Lord? What's the, the word of the Lord for Sunday morning? And I heard down in my spirit, down in my heart, talk about Jehoshaphat. 
And man, when I heard that word, oh, it felt so good on the inside. Before I got that word, I was anxious and I was a little fearful, a little worried myself. But once I heard that word, speak about Jehoshaphat. Oh, it made all the difference in the world. Number two, here's the second thing about fear. When you experience fear, it's only a reminder that you are the branch and Jesus is the vine. And of yourself, you can do nothing. In fact, in 1 John 15, verse 5, 1 John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And of course, Jesus went on and he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it shall be done. And this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Number three, fear is a reminder that you and I are completely dependent on God, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness and his grace is sufficient for us. See, we understand grace is God's unmerited favor. But I want to suggest to you that grace is also God's enabling power. Grace is God doing that for you and me, which we don't deserve and could never repay. Grace is God doing that which we can't do for ourselves. It is his working in our lives. It is, you know, we, 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 we talk about the charismatic gifts of grace. Well, charis is the Greek word for grace. And actually, it's a reference to the anointing. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit inside you. See, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside you. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to stir up the gift of God that is inside you. You see, it's, thank God for, for good worship. Thank God for good preaching. But at the end of the day, it's your responsibility and it's my responsibility to stir up my spirit before God. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility. And Paul says, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, Timothy, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I remind you of the gift of God that was given you through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He says, stir up the gift of God that is within you. Sometimes, dear ones, we are a victim of fear. Sometimes we're attacked by fear, and we're thinking, oh, Lord, this is bad. Oh, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And all we need to do is we need to start stirring up the gift of God that's within us. I need to look towards heaven and say, Jesus, I thank you that you're my king. You're my Lord. I thank you for taking me out of darkness and bringing me into the kingdom of your dear son. I thank you, Lord Jesus, because you're at work to willing to do of your good pleasure in my life. I thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness in my life. I'm going to stir up the gift of God within me. Hallelujah. Fat, let's just do that right now. Come on. Just, just make this a laboratory. Just stir up the gift of God within you. Just begin to worship Jesus. Come on. All over this house. Come on. Come on. All over this house. Lord, we worship you. We stir up the gift of God within us. We worship you, Jesus. We magnify you, Lord. We adore you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We adore you, Lord. Hallelujah. We stir up the gift of God. We stir up the gift of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The old song used to say, when you feel a little prayer wheel turning, then you know a little fire is burning. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Here's the third thing about fear, and it's this. Fear is a reminder that you and I are completely dependent on God, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, and his grace is sufficient for us. I've already, I've already shared that with you. Here we go. Number four. There we go. Fear is a reminder that I am helpless to handle life in my own strength and wisdom, and that I need to focus on the truth that God loves me, and that Jesus will never leave me, and Jesus will never forsake me. Hallelujah. You know, dear ones, about 90 years after this event in 2 Chronicles 20, about 90 years later in this same city of Jerusalem, behind these same walls, there's a different king, but there's also, there's also the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah and this king and the people are being threatened by two armies. It's similar, similar situations to what Jehoshaphat faced. In fact, let me read this to you. This is from the New Living Translation. This is for those of you taking notes. It's Isaiah 7, verses 1 and 2. It says, When Ahaz, son of Jotham and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. Verse 2, the news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a wind. Do you hear that? It says their hearts trembled with fear like trees shaking in a wind. How many of you remember what it was like last October when Hurricane Michael came in here? How many of you saw the trees swaying this way and that way and this way? I suspect some of that's been going on in Louisiana and in Mississippi with the storm this weekend. Dear ones, that's what fear will do to you. It'll make you tremble. It'll make you shake. It'll make you weak in the knees. Chapter 8. Here's the Lord speaking to Isaiah. Chapter 8, verse 11. It says, And the Lord has given me a strong warning. This is what Isaiah is saying. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He says, I, Isaiah, I don't want you to think like everyone else does because I don't want you to think that you can be successful by your own wisdom and strength. Don't think. Everybody say think. See, our thinking, thank God that we can think. Thank God that he's blessed us with brains. But dear ones, sometimes our thinking can be stinking. Sometimes when we start thinking and our thoughts are only based by what we see and what we can hear and what we can taste and what we can touch and what we can smell, when our thinking is only limited to these five physical senses, then dear ones, we're cutting off all hope from heaven. We're cutting off all hope that God will come through and do what he does best. And that's to be a very present help in time of trouble. So the Lord says to Isaiah, I don't want you to be thinking like other people are thinking. In fact, he says in verse 12, the second part of the verse, he says, don't live in dread of what frightens other people. Don't live in dread. He says in verse 13, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. Let's just stop right there. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. How did Jesus teach us to pray in Matthew 6? 
The disciples came to him and said, Lord, we don't know how to pray. Would you teach us how? He said, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven. Then what did he say? Hallowed or holy. That's what that means. Holy is your name. Hallowed is your name. So here we are. We're praying through the Lord's Prayer. And as we talked about around here for years and years, we'll pray through the compound names of God. Lord, I thank you that holy is your name. You are Jehovah Nisi. You're the Lord, my banner. You are Jehovah Tzidkanu. You're the Lord, my righteousness. You are Jehovah Shalom. You're the God that gives me peace. You are Jehovah Jireh. You supply every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You are Jehovah Shalom. You're the Lord God, my peace. You are Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord, my healer. And we can just go on and on and on. But he says, I want you to make the name of the Lord holy in your life. And dear ones, we're living in an unholy age. We're living in an unholy culture. We're living in an age and a time where people are not making God holy in their lives. And dear ones, it won't happen by accident. It won't happen unless you say, Holy Spirit, I know your first name is holy. And I want you to fill me from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. And Lord God, I want to walk in the holiness of God. I want to do what you want to have done. But Lord, I also want to recognize that you are holy and that you have made me. And I haven't made myself. He says, I want you to make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one you should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. He's the one that you should fear. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring to all generations. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Is the fear of the Lord simply living our lives and trembling that God is going to wipe us out? No. God could wipe us out, but he loves you. I said he loves you. I said nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. He could wipe you out. But when we, when we live and, and move and have our being in the fear of the Lord, it means we live our lives to please the one who made us. When my head hits the pillow, my question is this, God, have I pleased you today? If not, where did I displease you and how can I change? You see, the, 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 the fear of the Lord, as the psalmist said, is clean, enduring to all generations. When I, when I was a little boy, my daddy took me aside one day and he said, son, he said, you know, as you get older, you're going to run into boys and they're going to have magazines we didn't have the internet back then but he says they're going to have magazines of naked women in them and sons they're, they're going to encourage you to look at those magazines with them and son some of those boys are going to be drinking they're going to get access to alcohol and to liquor and you know it was amazing just the next week i'm over playing out in the cow pastures over beyond indian head acres if you don't know where that is if you know where the highland golf course is today do you know where that area of town is over on the east side of town that's where it is. We used to play in these cow pastures out there, and we found a treehouse that was about 30 feet off the ground, made very, very well. We climbed up there, and guess what was up there? There was pornography, and there was alcohol. And the, my buddies who got up there ahead of me, man, they were just having a good time. I got halfway up the ladder, and suddenly I could hear my dad's words, son, there's going to be some boys 
that are going to do some things and they're going to try to get you to do some things. But son, I want you to know, I don't think, I don't, I don't think pornography is something that's going to help you. In fact, it will hinder you. In fact, he says they're going to exploit women and they're going to talk bad about women. And son, I'd be so proud of you if you would choose not to do that. I don't do that. I love your mama. I'm a one woman man and she's a one woman one man woman. <laughs> Say Jesus help him this morning. He's still half on vacation, okay? We're committed to one another. And son, I'd be so pleased. You know, I don't I don't touch alcohol. He says alcohol has ruined more lives. It's hurt more people. It's caused more children to have to go to bed hungry because mom or daddy stopped and drank up their paycheck. That's all I could hear. And I was halfway up that 30-foot ladder. And there were guys behind me trying to get up. And I said, guys, I got to get down. And so now they're grumbling at me. They're cursing because I'm coming down and they're wanting to go up. But I went down and I went home that day. You say, again, why did it? It wasn't so much the fear of the Lord as it was I did not want to break my father's heart because I knew that if he learned what I had done, that it would break his heart. That's what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord will keep you doing the right thing and going the right places and speaking the right kind of words and thinking the right kind of thoughts and going around with the right kind of people because, because the fear of the Lord is just, just, you don't want to break God's heart. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Well, number five, fear is panic in the mind. Fear is looking rapidly from one useless human solution to another. I think about Moses and the children of Israel. One and a half million are trying to escape from Pharaoh in Egypt. So here's, here's Moses leading them out of Egypt. And suddenly they're between a rock and a hard place because in front of them is the Red Sea. Behind them are Pharaoh and their armies. And the people begin crying out to God, Help! What do you do when you get in trouble? What do you do when you got a Red Sea in front of you and armies and chariots behind you? You cry out for help. And apparently Moses was crying out for help as well. We read this in Exodus 14, verses 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Listen to me, some of you, you're between a rock and a hard place this morning, and you've been crying out saying, God, I need a miracle, I need this, I need that, help! And I'm not putting you down for crying out to the Lord. I certainly have done a lot of that myself. But there are times when God asks, hey, why are you crying out to me? Listen to what God tells Moses. He says, you tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. See, Moses didn't know that he was going to stretch forth his rod and that the rod of God was going to activate the breath of God to blow across that Red Sea and they were going to cross over on dry land. Dear ones, I want you to know God still knows how to part the Red Seas in your life. He still knows how to stop up the Jordan rivers when they flow. He still knows how to provide manna and quail in the morning and manna and quail in the evening. He still, he's got the number of your hair, head, and the, 
The number of hairs on your head counted. And he sees every time you lose one. And he's, he went from using a calculator to a computer on me. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's our refuge and strength. And he's a very present help in time of trouble. And dear words, faith in God is not just saying help. Faith in God is, is, is actually, it's, it's understanding that you've got a relationship with God and he's got a relationship with you that you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son and he's watching over you and he loves you dearly and you spend time stirring up the gift of God that is within you. You spend time loving on him. You spend time in his presence. You spend time putting his promise promises in your heart and I'm telling you when you do that then your faith gets activated and and faith is actually you begin focusing on the greatness of God even in the face of a problem you begin focusing on the greatness of God just to pick on Paul and Terry you know we told you about three weeks ago that they're going to be moving to South Carolina well they told Kathy and I that about three months ago and my heart's just been breaking. Terry's been on staff with us here for 11 years. But I knew that the only reason Paul, I knew Paul had opportunities to go to many different universities and, and teach, he's a statistics professor. I knew he had a lot of opportunities that he said no to. And he was here really so that they could be in Tallahassee with us. And yet I knew this day was coming. But that doesn't mean, you know, you can know something can still break your heart. Now, dear ones, as Kathy and I, these last three months, I confess to you, there have been days that we've come to church. And let me just back up and say that, that here the 1st of June is Miss Lucy Cramner, been our office manager for 12 years. She says, you need to have this. And she gives me her letter of resignation and says, I'm moving to Tampa to take care of our grandchildren. Now, haven't, we haven't yet told anybody about Terry and Paul's plans. And I'm thinking, wow, I got Terry and Paul, now I got... Lucy. And then there's three or four other things going on that I can't talk about, but it's all happening. And there are days I'd come to church and I'd force myself to smile because my heart is breaking. I'd go into staff meetings and my heart would be breaking and I'd force myself to smile. Dear ones, at some point, there's a battle. Paul told, told Timothy, he says, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. We're never called to fight other people, but there is a fight of faith. There's a fight of faith because we live in a fallen world. There's a fight of faith because demonic spirits will come against us. But there's a fight of faith because our own flesh, our own flesh is willful. And our own flesh wants to feel sorry for ourselves. And our own flesh wants to have things our way. And I just confess to you, it's been a battle. But God's our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in time of need. What does that mean? That means every time my heart was starting to break, I think about Paul and Terry moving. And you, know, you, got, you could leave Sophie and Izzy Kay here with us. <laughs> just, just, just a thought. Just a thought. No, but every time I think about them taking these precious little girls, and Kathy's been privileged to, to keep them, Many days, my heart would want to break. Dear ones, in this world, 
We're driven by what we can see and what we can hear and what we can smell and what we can taste and what we can touch by our five physical senses. But faith looks beyond what you can perceive with your senses. And I look up there and I say, God, you're in charge and you've got a plan and you're at work to willing to do in ways that I can't see and I don't understand. And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding right now. But in all my ways, I acknowledge you. And God, you're going to make this work together for the good of Kathy. You're going to make this work together for our good, for Paul and Terry and their children. It's going to work together for the good of Evangel Church. It's going to work together for the good of this community. It's going to work together for our good. I could preach the same message about Lucy Cranmer. She's been like an angel of God for us. Miss Lucy had been on staff at Christian Heritage and then she had been at Celebration Baptist. And then 12 years ago, I found out about her. Boy, we scooped her up. She is a blessing. But you know, this is going to work together for her good. It's going to work together for our good. At some point in time, dear ones, when we come to those junctures of, of life, when, when, when it seems like the devil is trying to kill, steal, and destroy, and it seems like your own emotions are in league with the devil, there's a time that, that you've got to look up just like David had said, I will look unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, dear ones, that's one of the Psalms of Ascent. That's one of the, you know, you say, what does he mean I'll look into the hills? It's one of the Psalms of Ascent. It was written as the, as the pilgrims were journeying to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the city that's built up on a mountain and there are mountains that surround Jerusalem. And if you wanted to get there, if you wanted to get there for Passover, if you wanted to get there for Pentecost, man, you had to work at it. You couldn't take a train or a, or a plane or a car. You had to walk or you had to ride a camel or a donkey and you had to go up those steep mountains and down and the pilgrims would, would, would pray those psalms of ascent about Psalms 125 to, to 135. They prayed those psalms of ascent. I will look into the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. They were saying, God, you're going to help me get up this mountain. You're going to help me walk up this thing. You're going to help me get through this problem. You're going to help me get to the other side because he is a way maker. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, it says here, Jehoshaphat feared. So he set himself to seek the Lord. This is verse 3. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in all your hand is there no, not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? This is amazing. Jehoshaphat begins to pray and he doesn't begin saying, God, help me. I need help. I need help. He starts proclaiming the goodness of God. He starts bragging on God. Lord God of our fathers, verse 6, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations and all your hand is there not power and might so that no one's able to withstand you? Verse 7, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? You gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. He's just reminding God of his covenant promises and what he's done. 
And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. And we'll cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. He, he just begins reminding God of the day that Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord. Now I want you to note something he says in verse 9. You'll note that the word affliction is underlined in the New International Version, New American Standard, and other versions, it translates that word, not affliction, but as distress. And it means literally to be crushed by your circumstances. It means to be in a narrow place, unable to turn to the right or the left for help. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Let's drop down to verse 12. For our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Dear ones, it's okay for you to say, Lord, I'm in a narrow spot. I seem to be crushed. I can't seemingly turn to the left or the right hand. I don't know what to do. Lord, I don't have the answers, but I'm going to put my eyes on you. I'm going to look towards Jesus, who's the author and finisher of my, of my faith. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm not going to be looking at my problems. I'm not going to be looking at my circumstances, but God, I'm looking to you and I'm looking to your word. And Lord, you've never failed me yet. Hallelujah. You're going to make a way where there doesn't appear to be a way. Now all Judah, verse 13, all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, of Levi, of the sons of Asap in the midst of the assembly. That's important because Asap was their great, 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 great granddaddy. And Asap was David's primary worship leader. It was Asap who led the worship before the Ark of David, before the, where the very Ark of God was, the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, there was worship 24-7 going on day and night. So his great-great-great-great-grandson stands up and begins to prophesy. Verse 15, he says, Listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Verse 20, so they arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Verse 21, and when he consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Verse 22, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, and they came against Judah and they were defeated. I want you to note verse 22, it says, now when they began to sing and to praise. It 
didn't say before they began to sing and praise. It didn't say as soon as they began moving that the Lord set on ambushes. It was when they began to praise and worship God. Dear ones, I'm going to tell you one of the best ways I know to deal with fear is for you to lift your hands towards heaven and turn your heart toward God and say, Lord, I worship you. I praise you and I magnify you. You are bigger than any problem that exists. You're the creator. You're the one that put air in my, in my lungs. You're the one that made me. I didn't make myself. And God, you're ordering my steps and the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And yes, there may be Goliaths out there. Yes, there may be problems. Yes, there may be difficulties. I don't deny those things. But Lord, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to give you glory. And the Bible says that when they begin to worship God, that's when God went to work. When they begin to worship God, because God inhabits the praises of his people. He doesn't inhabit the grumblings of his people. He doesn't inhabit, oh, feel sorry for me. He, he, you won't find him there. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come out against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies. That's one of the reasons we know they were coming to occupy because they had all their gold and silver with them. They had everything of value with them. When they stripped for themselves more than they could carry away and there were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Should you hear me? You may not shout me down when I say this but there are a number of people in this room that in your own prayer closet, you need to start looking up to heaven and say, God, I thank you because you're making a way where there doesn't appear to be a way. God, I thank you because you're turning this situation around. God, I look to you. I'm not going to be confined by my circumstances, but I look beyond my circumstances to a covenant-keeping God. And Lord Jesus, I just stop. To pause. You know, in the book of Psalms, after the Psalms, so many of them, they, 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 you'll find the word selah, S-E-L-A-H, which means to stop and pause, to think about it, to meditate, to reflect on what you just read. And some say that even means to start speaking it aloud in faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. See, the devil wants you to burn out through fear, through frustration, through unforgiveness. The devil wants you to burn out. Oh, I've tried that Christianity stuff. I've tried serving the Lord. I, I tried that Holy Ghost stuff. and it, It's good for the moment, but it doesn't last too long. Let me tell you something. The devil's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But it's when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Let me tell you what God's already done. When you find yourself walking through that valley of the shadow of death, he's already prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. The problem is that some people never get to that plate, to that table that's set before them because they don't continue in faith. They get discouraged. They throw in the towel. 
They say, Lord, I just don't know that I can endure. Well, dear ones, that's the reason we need one another. That's one of the reasons we have small groups at Evangel, because life is not made to be lived alone as a believer. You can be encouraged today as I preach to you, but you're not going to grow by leaps and bounds by looking at the back of somebody else's head. You're going to grow when you're in a small group circle and you're looking face to face with other believers and you're talking about the word and you're praying for one another and you're saying, yeah, this is what I'm going through and this is how God helped me. And you can be encouraged by other people, dear ones. Many people walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They walk through a place of despair and depression, and they never get out of it. They never get out because they won't go to other people to help them. People that will keep confidence and people that will pray for them. And some people never get out of it because they turn away from the Lord. But all the while, he's already prepared a table before you. In the presence of your enemies. What am I saying today? I'm saying the devil wants you to burn out. But I'm saying God's your refuge and strength. He's a very present help in time of trouble. He's working in ways that you can't imagine. He's working, you know, you know one, let me just, I've tried to land this plane, but let me, let me, I'll just tell this. One of the things that's always amazed me is that, you know, guys, we, we, we value fasting and prayer around here. In fact, we've got some days of fasting and prayer coming up the 1st of August. And, um, and we do a lot of fasting and prayer in January, and we'll do it. We did it in the spring, and we'll have three days in the fall coming up. But one of the things that's always amazed me in my personal time of fasting and praying, and, and I did some of this even on my vacation, which I needed to. I just overeaten a lot. That's the truth. But, but I needed to just spend time with God is I'll go into a time of prayer and fasting, and I've got my list of things that I'm praying about. God, I want to see this happen and that happen and that happen. And it always amazes me how God, about midway through that fast, God will start speaking to me about other things, things that I didn't even know about, but things that he knows that need to be dealt with. If we'll draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to us. If we'll rebuke the devil... And draw nigh unto the Lord, he'll draw into us, and, and the devil will just dissipate. He'll just go away, at least for a season. But you've got victory, hallelujah. You've got victory. I'll tell you how I want us to close this service this morning. We took the offering earlier just so we could do this and not receive the offering here at the close. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to come, every one of us. I want us to come up as close as we can. And I just want us to be like that mighty, that mighty choir that King Jehoshaphat put out in front of the army. I want you to be a member of that choir. And I want you to worship God in the beauty of holiness. Our band's coming. Our singers are coming. And Brother Norm, can, can, can we just begin to sing How Great Is Our God? Where's Wes? Wes, can we just, I don't even see him right now. He's on his way. He's coming. Just come in as close as you can so others can come in behind you. That's it. Come on, let everybody up. Come on, over here to the right hand and here in the center and over here. Hallelujah. This was a very unconventional battle strategy. 
You will not need to fight in this battle, but position yourselves and stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and those who should praise the beauty of holiness. You say, Pastor, I can't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. That's beside the point. All of us can sing to the Lord. We can all make a joyful noise. And they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And when they begin to sing, when they begin to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. I believe that as we begin to worship today together, you, you know, individually, you've got your anointing. That's what John says. You've got anointing from the Holy One. But man, when we get together, there's a corporate anointing. And Jesus is here in our midst. And I'm going to ask you right now just to press in as we sing this together. Come on, Brother Wes, let's sing it. How great is our God. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.